Section 30 of Unaddressed Letters by Anonymous, edited by Frank Athelstane Swettenham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Eva Davis. Scandal and Bangles For years, I have not been so angry as I am at this minute. I have very nearly lost my temper, and the reason is really ridiculous. Why I should choose this as a favorable opportunity for writing to you, I cannot tell, but my tormentor had no sooner left the room than I seized the pen, which is nearly always ready to my hand, and you are the victim. The cause of this unusual and unseemly frame of mind is a girl, quite a pretty girl, who walked in here sans ceremony, and, after a few minutes' desultory conversation, told me a preposterous piece of gossip about myself a fantastic story in which there was not a grain of truth. "'Who says that?' I asked. "'Everybody says so.' "'Then everybody is mistaken. "'Of course you deny it, but it is true all the same. "'It is not in the least true, "'and I am prepared to swear that in any form of oath. "'I dare say you are, but no one will believe you.' "'Very well. "'Now what does your story rest upon?' the evidence of people's senses. Everyone has seen you. I cannot deal with everyone. It is too indefinite. You say I went to someone's house. Not that it would matter the least if I did. But who saw me? I did. You did. I never was in the house in my life. Try to remember. I have seen you go in and also seen you come out of it. If it were not so stupid, one might almost get angry. I repeat that I have never been in the house, nor spoken to the owner, and I, having seen with my own eyes, maintain that you have. You have mistaken someone else for me, or drawn on your imagination, for what you say is absolutely untrue, but as you seem to have constructed a fantastic story on that insecure foundation, I have a good mind to charge you with defaming me. By all means, and I will go into court and say what I know and you know to be true. Now, what can you do with a person like that? If I were the judge, trying my own cause and knowing that there is not a semblance of a particle of truth in this absurd tale, I believe that if a witness appeared and gave evidence against me with a sublime assurance, I would decide the case against myself. The wasp has still a sting left, she says. You sent your carriage to a lady that she might drive in it? I did. And she sent it back? She did. She would not use it because of what I have told you, and she does not want to see or speak to you again. I said I should not die of the affront, nor commit any rash act if the lady adhered to her determination. But I admit that, though I laughed, I was beginning to lose my temper. And I told my tormentor that if I could whip her it would be a satisfaction. She also laughed but as I had seen that she was brimful of merriment all along, that was nothing. By and by she disclosed that she wanted me to do something for her, and when I had heaped coals of fire on her head by doing what she wished, she went away asking me if I had any message for the lady who had refused my carriage. I heard her laughing all the way downstairs, and as she insisted on walking through the grounds to her carriage, I fancy I can hear her giggling still. I think I remarked once before that the train of another's thoughts are not easy to divine, but explanations are boring, so I leave you to supply the connection between 
what I have just written and what now occurs to me to tell you. It is not only fowls and curses that come home to roost. Once upon a time, there was a very beautiful and attractive lady, the wife of a high official in India. She was of those who have but one admirer at a time, and that one very devoted. Women of her type cannot share with anyone else the attentions of their cavaliers. They insist upon a service that is complete and unquestioning, dog-like in devotion and obedience, and they do not seem to care if it is also dog-like in its inability to do more than gaze in rapture at the face of its mistress. I have known cases of the kind myself, and marveled to see how the lady and her slave can stand and sit and walk together with no one to disturb their confidences, and yet they never seem to speak. As far as I can understand, that was the case with the heroine of my tale and her cavalier servant. They were on the hills or in the plains, it does not matter where, when a native prince appeared upon the scene. He was a delightful and fascinating person, but wicked beyond the dreams of wickedness. He stayed several months in the station, and went about to return to his own native state. He called upon an English friend of his and said, I am going away. I speak English very indifferently. I wish to say goodbye to some of my friends. Will you come with me? The Englishman at once said he would be delighted, and they set out on a round of calls, the prince saying where he wished to go. Amongst other houses, they visited that of the engaging lady, and after a few words explaining his early departure and regret, the prince produced a number of beautiful gold bangles and said he trusted the lady would accept them as a token of his respectful admiration. This was duly interpreted, and the lady replied that as her husband held a government post, she could not accept any present. The prince said he trusted that she would not persist in this determination, because he was merely a visitor, and as the lady's husband had no authority or influence in his territory, he could not believe that the ordinary rules would apply to a gift of such small value, which was merely an expression of his esteem and thanks for the kindness he had received. Meanwhile, the bangles had been tender to the lady. They had lain in her hand, and she appreciated their curious design and artistic excellence. "'What shall I do?' said the lady, appealing to the Englishman. "'What you please,' he replied. It is possible that it was out of consideration for the feelings of the donor that she then said, "'My husband would never let me accept the bangles, but I should like to keep them if I knew that you would say nothing.' "'Pray do not think of me,' said the friend. "'I am an accident to the interview, and when I leave the house, I shall have forgotten all about it. "'Then I shall keep them.' One evening, about a fortnight or three weeks later, the lady was dancing with the man who had interpreted, and he said, "'Will you allow me to admire your bangles? They are not only beautiful in themselves, but exceedingly becoming.' "'Yes,' she replied. But the unfortunate part of it is that my husband thinks they have been given to me by someone else, and I can't enlighten him, for I dare not tell the truth. P.S. The lady who refused to use my carriage has just sent me an invitation to dinner. End of section 30